Radio. Saved by Divine Mercy. A talk by John Canavan at the Immaculata Mission School 2015, held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. Well, um, Mother asked me to come along uh, a few months ago, and it's always a great pleasure to come along and talk to the youth. I used to be young once. I can't divulge my age, but I'm somewhere between 50 and death, so my children tell me. <laughs> it's funny, when you're young, you pull funny faces in the mirror. When you get over 50, the mirror has its revenge, and I don't like it. <laughs> I'm a married man. I've got six children from the age of 20 to nine. I have four girls, so I'm doing my purgatory here on earth. <laughs> Three of them are teenagers, which makes it worse. And I've got a 20-year-old boy, and John Paul goes to Mazanon. He's 13 years of age. So very blessed to have six children. Being a father in today's world with six young children can be just as difficult for a teenager growing up in the world. Because we as parents have to see the so many changes that our children go through, the so many temptations that are put in front of your eyes. When I was growing up, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have the iPod, we didn't have the phone, there wasn't so much focus on the media. Now there is so much focus. And the evil one, I believe, is trying to numb young children with entertainment. Entertaining. They can't hear the voice of God. I'm going to tell you a story today. I'm going to tell you a story about a young man who was like that, who never heard the voice of God, who became bitter, angry, twisted, confused, disturbed with the church, with life, who thought about committing suicide, but through the mercy of God, things changed, things turned around. And that young man grew up. That young man is standing in front of you now as an old man. God's mercy touched my heart in an incredible way. When I was 10 years of age, I saw my father leave. My mum had a massive fight left and ran off with his secretary, who was 20 years younger, had two other children. My mother was left holding six children under the age of 14 to bring up a family. It was difficult. I went off the rails at that early age in life. I became very bitter, very confused. I didn't want to have any control in my life. I went to a Catholic school. Religion never played an important part in my life. You see, children, if you don't put anything into religion, you'll get nothing out of it. That's one thing I can assure you. I never had the grace of seeing our Lord, nor have I seen Our Lady. But the greatest miracle that happened in my life is my conversion back to the faith. And why? Because someone was praying for me, unbeknownst to me. In your life, you're going to come across a number of people Many of those people will try and steer you down the wrong road. Some of those people will try and be the light of Christ to you. Well, the light of Christ in my life was my 97-year-old grandmother, who, when she saw me call her daughter, my mother, every name of the sun, every name under the sun, angry with her, abusive, physically, in every way, she didn't preach out to me with her religion. She reached out to me by her love. On the cross, we see the fig of the cross. That's where the gift of divine mercy was given to the world. His rays of blood and water came upon St. John, came upon the soldier, the first saint of divine mercy that pierced the heart of Christ. The blood and water came forth. That blood and water is present today. 
present in the Eucharist. I had no idea of the Mass. I had no understanding of what adoration meant. I thought adoration was just looking at yourself in the mirror. That's how proud I was. But adoration is a great gift. It opens your heart to God. These things I've learned. I made a decision that I would never believe in God again when I was 21 years of age. A lot like you. I was on a Kentucky trip, over holidaying overseas in Europe, and my sister died in front of me, as I'm talking to you now, from massive brain hemorrhage. No warning, bang, wham, bam, she's gone, dead, no choice. I came back to Australia. I saw my father after a number of years who I hadn't seen. First time ever I'd seen my father cry. I became so bitter, so confused, so angry with God. I will never believe in God. But if you say that, you can say it. I'll never believe in God, but God still believes in you. He will never, ever let you go. It's your decision. One of the greatest gifts that God gave me was free will. It's the greatest gift that he can give us is his free will because we have the right to believe or not believe. And through the prayers of my grandmother and through another tragedy that happened three years later when I was on the same trip overseas, the girlfriend whom I was travelling with, her brother had a massive brain hemorrhage in Australia. I came back, he was Italian, he died. Two deaths in three years. I worked, as Rob said, extensively as an auctioneer and also as an R-rated comedian. Now, R's not for religious, I can assure you that. I used to do parodies on songs, I changed the words. I was on a show called The Football Show with Sam Newman on Hey Hey It's Saturday and I was involved in a comedy duo called Percy and Dickie. And for 20 years of my life, that was my life. But we've all got gifts. I never used the gift that I had of humour to bring people closer to God till later in my life. I used it to take people further away from God because we can become desensitised to sin. Impurity is one of the greatest offences against Our Lady's Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart of Christ. But you'll know that. You're on a journey at the moment. That journey can be a very difficult journey at times, but it's so easier if you just remember the words, Jesus, I trust in you. Over the last several days, you've been spoken to from bishops, from lay people, from priests. The one central focus and God's greatest gift is his mercy. And if we look at those words at the bottom, Jesus, I trust in you. Take the word trust. To receive, you simply trust. It sounds easy, but it's difficult. Can you imagine what it was like for me when I was 24 years of age and already had experienced two deaths of loved ones? How was I ever going to believe in God again? For the next several years in my life, I got involved in many different relationships. I worked extensively as an auctioneer, around a auctioneer and also in entertainment. I was financially comfortable but I was spiritually bankrupt. God never meant anything in my life. But my grandmother prayed for me, unbeknownst to me. And one day, and I hate to admit it, I was 29 years of age, and I thought, I can't live anymore. I was driving along the Arrow River, and I thought, I'm going to drive my car straight into the river, and that's it, it's over. I can't take it anymore. And the words that my grandmother said to me years ago, when I was at the funeral of my sister, came back into my heart. She said, when you've got nowhere to go, trust in Jesus and ask Our Lady to help you. 
And I thought, well, maybe there is something to having faith. When I was angry, when I was mad, when I was swearing my mother, hitting my mother, she never tried to stop me. She stopped me with love. And my life changed the next day because I looked at the life of one person, my grandmother. She had six children, eight children. She lost five of them under the age of two. Her firstborn son died at 16. The last boy she brought into the world was Down syndrome. They said would never live past six, um, 16, put him into a home. She wouldn't. She never blamed God. I lost my sister. I blamed God. I lost my girlfriend's brother. I blamed God. Why? Because I became proud. Because Satan made me proud. When you're working in entertainment, you are working in the area that Satan loves. Because it can take so many people away from God. So the next day I walked into a church. I hadn't been into a church for probably 12, 13 years apart from the funeral of my sister Kathleen. I knelt down, halfway down the church, I looked at the tabernacle and I said, God, I don't even know if I believe, but if you're there, please help you, help me. That was the first time in 29 years that I opened the door of my heart. And our Lord's rays of mercy was able to come into a heart and touch a heart that was cold, that was frozen, that was anger. And my life changed on that day because I asked for his mercy. When you first come back to the faith, as I mentioned earlier, it can be very, very difficult because a lot of your friends, particularly when you work in the entertainment industry, they note you're changed. I changed after going outside that day. I picked up a little leaflet and it was on marrying apparitions. And to cut a long story short, with certain places like Lourdes, Fatima, but there was one that attracted me called Medjugorje. Cut a long story short, within six months I found myself called to go there. And that's where I received the greatest grace in the Tribunal of Mercy. Now that little card, that little prayer card that's been handed to you now, it wasn't available then. I didn't know anything about the message of Divine Mercy. I went over there on a pilgrimage. I saw all these older people. I was 29 years of age or 30 years of age when I first I thought, saw them all praying the rosary and going adoration. I thought, this is too much for me. And the priest said to me, when you first come back to God, it's essential to go to confession. So having an unusual sense of humour and being an auctioneer, I said to God, now I'm happy to go to confession in Medjugorje because I haven't been for many years. It was probably 15 years, 20 years since I'd been. Because I know there's priests from all corners of the world come here. Some of them can understand a little English, but they can't speak it all that well. So I'm wondering if I go to confession, could you please give me one of those priests? So I went to confession after all that time. I was so nervous, I knelt down, and I hear behind the screen in a very strong Australian accent, G'day, welcome to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. <laughs> so I got an Aussie priest, and he could understand every sin that I'd committed. I was there for nearly an hour, but... Confession changed me from then. I could see things. See, in the world today, as I mentioned, we become desensitised because in the eyes of God, what is right is right, but in the eyes of the world, what is, right, what, what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. Everything's been turned upside down. It's very difficult for young people today because often within the schools, a religious education is not taught. Many of our families don't practise the faith. I think less than 5% of Catholic families here in Victoria go to church on a Sunday. So you really are battling against the current. But a tsunami of God's grace has been given through confession.
And after I'd been in confession, I went out and there was a lady who was praying in front of me and had a, a booklet on the image of divine mercy. And I asked her, I was attracted to the face. I said, where could I get this book? She said, have you never heard of the message of divine mercy? I said, no. She said, son, I'll give you this book. This book could change your life. And I opened it up and it summed up my life in one sentence. The greater the sinner, the greater the right to my mercy. Now, I'm not going to tell you my sins, but if they're handing out gold medals, I would have got 10 or 12 of them eventually. Not only did I sin, but I caused a lot of other people to fall into sin as well, even mortal sin. I didn't realise that when I fall someone into sin, I have to answer for those sins as well. But God is merciful. And in our spiritual journey, we go one step at a time. We may go two or three, then we'll fall back. But on those times we fall, we go back to the sacrament of confession. When you look at that little prayer card, I was doing a talk a few years ago with the artist of that image, Tommy Canning, who paints a lot of our calendars, which... I'll talk to you later on about. The image was painted because in the diary of Sister Faustina, a lot of people have a fear of confession. Maybe it's because we know our weaknesses, we know our sins. Maybe it's also because the devil, the enemy of mercy, does not want us for our souls to change. My soul was dark. It went from darkness to light. And when you're bright and when your soul shines and when you pray, the light of your soul shines to heaven and the evil one will try and put that out. And believe me, Satan exists. He's real. He is real. As an apostle of mercy, I can assure you in every way over the last 23 years I've been promoting the divine mercy, he has tried my family, he has split relationships up, he has caused divisions amongst friends that you would never ever think would happen because of the message of mercy. Sister Faustina was only 33 when she died, 13 years as a religious nun. As young as some of you young ladies here, she felt the call to go and be a nun. And what was her role? She looked after former prostitutes, girls who wanted to change their lives, have a deep moral renewal. That was her job. Simple duties in the garden, in the kitchen. And our Lord chose her to bring this message of divine mercy in a semi-cloistered convent in Poland to the whole world. And in 1991, in Medjugorje, 1989, I read about this message. I came back to Australia. I felt the call to spread this message, but I didn't want to do it. I had to make a change. It was a big change in my life because when your income depends on entertainment, particularly in the R-rated industry, you have an act in which you do songs, it's difficult to change because you think, well, I mightn't get any more work. But I trusted in God and I did. And my work doubled over the next period of a couple of years. But then I felt the call that I was to spread this message, but I had no money. I wouldn't say I was poor at that particular point in time because after I went to Medjugorje, I took time off. And I just spent five minutes a day in prayer, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. Because to know Jesus, you've got to love him. And to love someone, you have to get to know them. And I had to get to know our Lord. But the person most who helped me get to know our Lord was his mother, the mother of mercy. She is the role model that you women here today should aspire to. Simply by just submitting to God's will 
And that may not be as difficult as what the Blessed Mother went through, but it's just in the simple duties of your life. Sister Faustina, on many occasions, saw the Blessed Virgin Mary. It was her that gave her the strength to attack, to be able to respond to the difficult task that our Lord was asking her to do, to help her battle the evil one, the physical attacks of Satan, who hated this message. It was, Sister, it was Our Lady who would prepare Sister Faustina's every soul every time she would go to receive communion and Holy Communion. And it was Our Lady that gave her the gift of purity that on one particular occasion came along and placed a special like girdle around her which gave her, the battle, gave her not to be able to battle against the sins of impurity. Our Lady is the Mother of Mercy. My grandmother, not long before she died, she called me into her room. She held my hand. She was 97 years of age. And she said, son, I prayed the rosary for 25 years that someone in my family would take over the faith when I die. Then she smiled and she laughed and she said, but I never thought Our Lady would choose you. <laughs> so nothing is impossible to prayer. One person a witness in somebody's life makes them realise that God exists. God does exist. For many years in my life, he didn't exist. He's now an important part. I was scared of marriage. Working in real estate, auctioneering, you'd see so many people who are divorced. Marriage is a great sacrament. I'll never forget, I went to my father and after years of contemplating, am I going to get married? I said, Dad, I'm going to get married. He said, well, son, you've got to get married one day. You can't be happy for the rest of your life. So I did. I got married I had six beautiful children. And children are a gift. Children are a grace. But children grow up. And it's very important for the children here. And all of you are children. You have parents, whether they're together or not, whether they're here or some may be in heaven. Those parents make mistakes. I've made mistakes. So it's important for you, as much as we parents pray for you, our children, you pray for us, our parents. I was doing some talks in um, India, and I don't, first of all, like to, I, I tend to do more talks outside of Australia than I do here in Australia. And I don't like to do overseas talks much because I don't like flying. Has anybody here got a fear of flying? Well, I don't know why it is. I think it's when I get it to the airport and I see those huge big letters in front of me, terminal, sort of scares me a little bit. <laughs> and, I, and I went to India and I had the great pleasure of um, meeting Mother Teresa, who was very devoted to the message of Divine Mercy. In actual fact, she said, when I asked her what did the message of Divine Mercy mean to her, she said, the message of Divine Mercy touches the heart straight away. It's love and mercy in action. That's God's mercy. All right? And I spoke to a nun, and she said, I want to tell you a story about a family. Sad story, but true. She said, the father was always very, very busy, always busy. And uh, one day he came home early from work. And his little boy's about 10 years of age. And he was so happy that his dad had come home early. And he said, Daddy, Daddy, you're home early. He said, yes, I'm home early today. He said, Dad, can you tell me how much money do you earn an hour? And the father goes, what do you want to know that for? He said, no, I just want to know, Dad, how much money do you earn an hour? And the father goes, no. He said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, well, he said, well I earn $20 an hour. He said, really, Daddy? He said, Dad, could I just have $10 of that $20? He said, no, you can't. 
He said, I work 40 hours a week, that's $800 a week. He said, I've got to pay, I've got to pay super, I've got to pay HBO, I've got to pay all the funds. He said, I've hardly got any money left and I can't afford to give you $20. He said, now go to your room. The little boy goes to his room and he's so upset. All he wanted was $10 of that $20 and his father wouldn't give it to him. So he goes to his room and his wife comes over, the one who must be obeyed. He looks at her. He knows she's in the bad books. He said, I know. He said, I had a bad day at work. That's why I came home early. He said, I should have given him that money. He said, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to go over to him. So he goes into his room, opens up the door. The little boy's there on his bed. And he's crying his heart out. Little kid's really upset. And dad goes, I'm sorry, son. He said, I've had a bad day at work. Here you go. Takes out the money. Gives his son $10. And the little boy's so happy. And a big smile comes upon his face and he's so happy. And he lifts up his pillow. And under his pillow, he's got all these coins. And the father sees it. And he starts to get really irate and really upset. He said, hang on, son. He said, you've asked me for $10 of my hard-earned $20 an hour. And he said, you're already loaded. He said, look at all the coins you've got here. The little boy started to cry. He said, daddy, daddy. He said, dad, 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 dad. He said, dad, you don't understand. He said, dad. He said, with the $10 that you've given me and all the other coins that I've got here, that's $10. So $10 and $10 makes $20. And I'm just wondering, Daddy, could I just buy one hour of your time? The little boy just wanted to buy one hour of his dad's time. And in the same way, our Lord wants you to spend maybe not an hour, hopefully an hour, with him in your spiritual journey, coming close to him. Jesus said to Faustina, I listen intently to the heart of beating sinners, but when will it beat for me? My witness here today is not in vain. My suffering here today and what I've endured for over the years has brought many graces to my family. One of the most incredible graces that I have received, and I have never, I think I've only shared this story once. I know there's a Capuchin brother here in the uh, congregation today who uh, may be interested to hear this story. My wife, five years ago, was very sick. They were doing all sorts of tests on her. They thought she could have um, uh, cancer, leukaemia, doing all these sort of tests and it wasn't looking too good. There was a Capuchin priest friend of mine called Father Dennis Ward, who was in Sydney for many years but was down here at St Anthony's, a great apostle of divine mercy. This is why, brothers and sisters in Christ, priests, religious, are so special. Their prayers are so powerful. And I went down to him and I asked him, I said, would you pray for my wife Karen? Things aren't looking good. And he said, I will. Actually rang him up on the phone, actually. No, I went to see him. So um, one week later he rings me up. He said, can you please come down? I want to talk to you at the shrine. So I went down there, St Anthony's Shrine in Hawthorne, magnificent shrine if you've not been there. He said, I want to talk to you about something. He said, when you asked me to pray for your wife Karen, he said, I went over and I knelt in front of the tabernacle and I asked our Lord, could I take on your wife's sufferings? Within one week, I've been diagnosed as a very rare form of cancer. I don't know how things are going to go. 
We'd noticed within that week that Karen's sufferings had totally disappeared. He had written everything down in his diary. He told his superiors. And within the space of 12 months, Father Dennis Ward died and my wife lived. I asked him before he died on his deathbed, why did you do this? He said, John, he was always at our place. He had a fantastic sense of humour. He was a big, bulky man, big Padre P.O. beard. And he said, John, I love divine mercy. If God takes Karen, divine mercy will be gone. You could not do it without your wife. You need a wife. Your children need a mother. And Australia needs divine mercy. He said, I asked our Lord if I could take on your wife's sufferings, but I never thought he would give it. He died within 12 months. His family came up to us, particularly to my wife, at the funeral and said, we know how much our brother loved you, Karen. We know he gave his life for you. That is an incredible grace. He said to me before I died, I'm a lamb. I'm a suffering soul. He gave his life for my wife. An incredible gift that this one man had given. I've only shared it once before here in Australia. Four days later, after that, my son John Paul, who was very devoted to a very spiritual young man, who was eight years of age at the time, or seven or eight, he was in bed and uh, he was crying because he was great friends with Father Ward. He was always over at our place. And he said, Mum, something happened to me last night. I said, I was in my room. And he said, a bright light entered the room. And he said, someone was at the edge of my bed. And Karen automatically said, was it Father Ward? And he said, no, it wasn't Father Ward. He said, I was crying. He said, it was around three o'clock in the morning. He said, what did he say? He said, he said nothing. He smiled at me, had a beard, put out his hand and made the gesture, no need to cry. He left. And the next day, my wife said to John Paul, if he comes back again, ask him who is his and what does he want? The next day, same time, he was asleep, bright light, came in the room. The priest walked to his bed and John Paul said, who are you? Now he's a seven or eight-year-old boy. He said, my name is Father Pio. He didn't say Padre Pio. He said, my name is Father Pio. And he said, what do you want? What do you want of me? I think that was his exact words. And he said, you are to be a Catholic priest. So Father Dennis Ford from the Capuchin Order gave his life for my wife. And please God, if it's God's will, that life and many other lives can be saved through my son John Paul if he decides to take the vocation of priesthood with the Capuchins at a later stage. So God's mercy is incredible. God's forgiveness is unfathomable. But God's greatest gift that he has given to me is belief that he exists, that he is real. Never, ever get to the stage, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you believe life is not worth living. I've been there. I often think, what would it have been like if I'd just driven my car into the Yarra River? I wouldn't have had the six beautiful children. I wouldn't have had the lovely wife. I wouldn't have, over the period of 22 years of spreading the divine mercy, distributed close to one million pieces of literature throughout Australia and throughout the Oceania region. 
And God chose an R-rated comedian, mixed up, confused, to spread his message. Why? Because I received mercy in the most incredible way. And I'm proud to stand up here in front of you to say, don't go down the road I am. Don't let people take you down that road where it's only darkness. It seems to be light, but there's only darkness at the end of the tunnel. The struggle in life is worth it. Heaven is worth it. Sister Faustina was shown heaven. So were the children of Fatima. Faustina wrote in the diary of Sister Faustina, which has been the benefit of millions of souls worldwide, she was told to write this book on the message of mercy and she wrote it over a period of several years and it was to benefit a great number of souls. You here today in this room are those souls that she has spoken about. And Jesus said, what you have written about my mercy is just a drop in the ocean. A lot of you may not know the message of the Sacred Heart, St. Margaret Mary. Some of you may. Often many of you will know St. Therese, Mother Teresa, Padre Pio, more the modern-day saints. Our Lord appeared to St. Margaret Mary in the 17th century, telling her the great love he has for mankind of his Sacred Heart. This heart, hidden, hidden, Behind our Lord's garment is our Lord's sacred heart. When you look at the image of divine mercy, notice that he's pulling aside his garment. He's pulling it aside so his rays of mercy can come upon the world. You may not be able to see it here, but in the image of the divine mercy, you'll see he's, in the confession, he's stepping forward to you. He's wanting to lift you to the ocean of his mercy. That's what he calls his sacred heart, an ocean of mercy. How much of the world is taken up by ocean? 80% is it? That's God's mercy. And even then, he said, what you have written is just a drop in the ocean. Woe to those who do not recognise my special time of visitation. I'm reluctant to take hold of the sword of justice, so I'm prolonging the time of mercy. Whether you want to believe it or not, this is the times of mercy. The times of mercy, whether it be in our life, I believe it will be, will run out. You can see how the world is changing. You can see how, like me years ago, people take God out of their life. They replace it through materialism, through all the different isms in the world. The greatest threat we seem to the world today is terrorists. No. Yes, that is a threat. But it's sin. Sin poisons a soul. A terrorist may still come along and kill a person, but the judgment is between that God and that person. When you fall into deep mortal sin, your soul can be lost for eternity. When you pray the rosary and, has the, and people over, thousand, over a thousand years, of, 800 years have prayed the rosary, what's the final part in the prayer? Pray for us. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. That's the greatest battle that takes place for soul, is in the last hour of life. So when you pray the rosary every night, understand that your prayers are efficacious and can help save souls. I've seen many people come back to divine mercy. There was a man who was probably 60, 65 years of age who was involved in the occult, in full-on satanic worship, and it does exist. Believe me, satanic worship exists. 
He saw an image of the divine mercy, an image exactly like this but in a small prayer card. He said, the image spoke to me, not literally, but it spoke to me and it changed my life. He went on to confession on Divine Mercy Sunday the next month and he told me his story. How powerful is the divine mercy? The greater the sinner, the greater the right to my mercy. It's difficult. It's been a seven, eight-day retreat so far. At the end of the time, it's tiring. So what I'm saying to you here today is nothing new except my story, my witness, my conversion. You might remember for a little while. But I don't want you to remember me. I want you to remember the merciful Jesus. Because when you die, that's what you will see. My sister represented Victoria in netball. She was perfectly fit. Nothing wrong with her. And 21 years of age, I threw a frisbee to her on a beach like this. She held her head. Down she went. Dead. You do not know the hour nor the time. And when you're young like me, you think I've got the whole life ahead of me. And please God you have. And please God it'll be a beautiful life. But what about all the young people today who don't have the gift of faith that possibly you you have? And maybe a lot of you think, I've got faith, but I want to work on it more. Take it day by day. Take one step at a time. One hand of the Blessed Mother, the other hand of our Lord. And you'll be taken to the ocean of God's mercy. Because when I was on my trip from from Medjugorje to Ireland, I went to a bookstore, I went to the place where Divine Mercy was distributed. And the man asked me there, would I start Divine Mercy? I said, no, I don't want to do Divine Mercy. I'm not interested. I went back to Australia. As I said, I felt the call. I felt God was calling me, but I didn't have any money. And one day, two years later, he rang me up. He said, please, he said, start Divine Mercy in Australia. Literature is expensive to send from Ireland to Australia. Please start it. I got off the phone. I knelt down in front of the image. I said, Lord, if you want me to start Divine Mercy... I'll do it, but I don't have any money. I wouldn't say I was poor at that time, but my sponsored children in India used to send me money every month, so it was pretty bad. So I knelt down in front of that picture, and the next day I get a call from a man. He said, I want to talk to you about Divine Mercy. We spent half a day together. At the end of the day, he took out his checkbook. I thought, well, I haven't sold him a house. What's he giving me money for? I asked him. He wrote out a check. I looked at the check, and it was for $5,000. I said, why are you giving me this money? So I'm giving you this money to start Divine Mercy Publications. That was in 1991. So I was given $5,000. I always promised our Lord where I could, I would help spread the message. I've spoken in most corners of the world on Divine Mercy. I never thought it would have been possible. This is a book written at the request of our Lord, The Diary of Sister Faustina. It's a a book written, as as I mentioned, by a religious sister, Helen Kowalska, who became St. Faustina Kowalska. She only ever attended grade three of education. So her writing and was, uh, they would say, she would make mistakes in the small words, but in the big words, she could get everything perfectly. She prophesied the outbreak of the Second World War. She prophesied her own canonization. She saw heaven, hell, and purgatory. Now, a lot of this diary has been translated into smaller parts. Heaven. Just briefly, she said, incomprehensible is the soul in which you'll be immersed. Purgatory. Jesus said, my mercy does not want this, but my justice demands it. And hell, if you don't believe, listen to this. Hell, 
The majority of people in hell, Sister Faustina said, are those who disbelieved that there was a hell. Now this book hasn't been requested by a Lord to scare people, no. It's to understand the greatest gift that God has given to us in the 20th and 21st century is the divine mercy. Why? Because 14 times our Lord asked Sister Faustina to have a new feast established in the church which is to be held on the first Sunday after Easter. Now that's called Divine Mercy Sunday. Three times he promised anyone who would go to confession on that day is forgiven of all sins and all punishment. The greatest sinner, the greatest terrorist, if he converted to Catholicism, Hitler, anyone, a mass murderer, if he goes to confession on that day, genuinely repents of his sins, prays the chaplet from Good Friday to Mercy Sunday, does works of mercy, will go to heaven that day if his life was taken. That's the mercy of God. But the diary is a very spiritual book. And then our Lord might be calling you later on to know more about the divine mercy. An apostle is someone who's called, who's called to be sent out. Find out if our Lord's and St. Faustina are asking you to be apostles of mercy. Not in the way that possibly I'm doing it, by witnessing, but amongst your family. To show mercy sometimes where it's the most difficult in our own family. To show compassion. See, in our Lord's passion, he showed compassion. And we must resemble our Lord in whatever way we can. But the quickest and the surest way to get to heaven is to do the will of God and trust in his divine mercy. Trust in his divine mercy. It's simple, very simple. That was John Canavan with Saved by Divine Mercy. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.